we are supposed to reflect God in our lives in every sort of way. I've always appreciated the fact that, that God loved us so much, not only did He send His Son to die for us, but He's equipped us in every way to reflect the image of His Son. He didn't choose another plan <clears throat> to propagate the gospel among humanity. We're the plan. And in doing so, not only do we get blessed as we change and become more like Jesus, but also we're rewarded in the heavenlies one day for what we have done. It's important for us to understand that we have a part to play that's more than just simply being here. Ephesians 4.20 says this, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have taught him. Just as truth, it is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit and mind and put on the new self. See how involved you are in, in this whole act of becoming like Jesus? It's so significant. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, have this attitude in yourself which is also in Christ Jesus. There is no mystery of what we're to be. We're to be like Christ. And we have the awesome responsibility of examining our own lives and rooting out that sin that's there. We choose to change. Many times we want to pray and, and wake up and be different in the morning, like the little boy that put his, his, his book under his pillow and thought, well, I'll just take in all that knowledge for the test tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. It's difficult, it's hard to be like Jesus. And we all confront different obstacles in situations, but God equips us through His Holy Spirit to get through that. Colossians 3 says, and have, have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. God is making you that way if you will trust him and if you'll follow him. The one true God loves you so much that he didn't go and pick up a cookie cutter program and give it to you. One thing that scared me all of my life is when I go to a store and I see a garment or something that you wear that says this phrase, one size fits all. No greater lie has ever been told. The reality is God knows one size of, of Jesus doesn't fit all of us. He tailors it for our personality. He, he brings the Spirit of God within us to fulfill our destiny in an amazing way. God gives all of us spiritual gifts, and all those gifts focus on Jesus. They prepare us to meet the needs of those around about us. You know, the greatest testing site in all the world is the home. Because in the home, that's where you let your guard down and you show who you really are. Now, most of you are on your best behavior while you're here at church, except if you're in the Mavericks class. 
You're just, you're just you down there. But everywhere else, you're on your best behavior. And we teach our children that. We go somewhere, and, and I, I can still see my mother brushing us off and making sure that our suits are just right for me and my twin brother. And the last thing she'd say is, be on your best behavior. And if she's really upset at us, she'd be on your best behavior because I've got a belt in the car. That really got our attention. You know, we, we tell our children this, but the reality is they need to be on Christ's behavior all the time. Not just their best behavior. We need to be a reflection of who Jesus is. If we're striving for holiness, and holiness is just means one simple thing. It means being set apart unto Christ. Not like anything else, not like anyone else. The word for holy that's used in 1 Peter is the word hagios, which is a powerful word. It means to, that more than being pure and sacred and set apart, it actually gives us the idea of fulfilling our destiny in an honorable way. To be like Christ. To be, have what one man called characteristic holiness. And that's such a powerful thing for us to have. It's easy to use the words and say, I'm striving for holiness. But we forget that it's something that comes within us without our making the change. You know, you spend enough time with God and you'll become like Him. And many people don't understand where you begin with holiness. It's very simple. You begin with prayer. When you're in the presence of God on a regular basis and you open your heart to let the Holy Spirit examine you and to change you, you will not notice it first. Your family will, then your friends, then your co-workers. They'll see a difference in you. Remember that prayer is our window to God. It is our most significant resource, more important than even the air that we breathe. Without prayer, we have no connection with God. All we can fall back on is what we've read or heard. And the reality is our relationship is not to be based upon something we've read or heard or some pithy little quote somewhere. It's an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit. It's one in which we can pray and Jesus Himself encounters God with the words that we speak. And He speaks them in words that only He and the Father can understand. I'm so thankful for that. I read a little quote the other day, and it's true. It said, if Christians spend as much time praying as they do grumbling, they would soon have nothing to grumble about. Think about that. Sometimes we complain and gripe and get frustrated, and we express our opinion as if our opinion is worth anything. When we really need to be with our Lord in prayer. This little quote I read many years ago, and it's always stayed with me. I sit beside my lonely fire and pray for wisdom yet, for calmness to remember and courage to forget. That is so powerful to understand because that's what prayer does for us. It helps us to remember the great things that God has done and to forget those wrongs that we've experienced. Some people come out of the battle of life with bruises and they talk as if they've lost their arms. And if they were blinded, I've always been impressed with the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. They walked in the fire with Jesus himself, and they walked out of the fire, and you couldn't even smell the smoke on them. 
because they did not see that as their greatest thing to do. Let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, you're going to find out that those three young men went on to impact their part of the world in a great way. That story was told everywhere. And it's important for us to realize that when we go through a storm in life, don't complain or grumble or gripe. Be thankful. God has given you a testimony. He's given you something to shout about, something to be proud of, something that says He loves you so much that He allowed that circumstance to change you into the person you are now. I am so glad that God loves us in that way. I want to look at three things about holiness that, that I want to think about, and especially in prayer and the influence that it has in that. First of all, we're to be holy. in order for us to be holy, we must pray for others, not just ourselves. If you spend all your time in prayer to God about you, you're indicating to Him the main thing that matters to you. And that's wrong. Because we are in God's hands. If we're out there serving Him, if we're being obedient to Him, if we're following Him, if, if, if we're doing what He's called us to do, He's going to care for us. And we're not going to complain or grumble or gripe. It's sometimes easy to fall into the habit of, of criticizing and ridiculing what's going on. But remember this, and I've said this many times in my life, prayer is not so much about changing God's mind. Is it about it's about changing you and who you are. Being in His presence is not to ask for things necessarily, although we do. Being in His presence is to be there and to be changed because of His presence. And because of what he desires for us. There are many Christian writers over the years. And one that I love dearly was Henry Ward Beecher. <laughs> and I like the way he put this. Being a, a boy that grew up on a farm. He said, it is not well for a Christian to pray cream and to live skim milk. And that's true. Don't, don't, don't pray as if you want God to give you all sorts of blessings. But live as if you don't even know God. Don't do that. Many people ask for blessings and receive them and never appreciate them because God doesn't give them to us because we're wonderful. He doesn't do good things for us because of something in us. He does it because of something in Him. He forgives us. You know, Satan is very good at taking our sin, especially the sin that, that seems prominent to us. And reminding us of it. Satan will do that over and over and over again. And we can live as if we've never been forgiven. And yet we are. We can be crippled. Totally crippled if we don't trust him. There was a little girl in our neighborhood. Where I grew up that had polio. At a time when, when a lot of people were just terrified of it. Uh, I like most of you. Got the little sugar cube with the drop on it. Remember that? I mean, that was, that was a way of dealing with polio. I, I remember the fact that President Roosevelt hid his polio from America because he did not want to discourage a nation in war. But I remember that little girl, and when she got her braces off, she was so terrified she would never stand up. She just wouldn't. She got into a wheelchair, and she never, ever left it. Now, she could walk. And they were ready to do the therapy. She had gone down to Warm Springs. She had gone through all of that. But when she got home and no one was there, she gave up. 
She had the ability to be healed, but she chose not to be. And I never could understand that until I realized that that's the image that many Christians are in. We have the ability to excel and do great things in the kingdom of God, but somewhere along the road we just give up about God's miraculous healing of our hearts and our lives. And He wants to do that. Secondly, if if we're to be holy, we must live a life of contentment. Now, contentment is unusual. Contentment is not connected uh, with happiness. Happiness is a word that comes from the word happenings, and it means that things around you, what's going on, is pleasant and good in the way you want it to go. And if you're a person that has a problem with with wanting to control everything, and that's only uh, 100% of us, you'll have a problem because happiness will come and go. But there, there's one wonderful relationship that is not influenced by your circumstances and your surroundings. And it's called joy. Joy is rooted more deeply in a relationship with Christ than it is anything in this world. It keeps your eyes focused on something in the heavenlies, not down here on earth. It gives you a peace in your heart that you know that everything is going to be okay, no matter what you're looking at as you're around. And the obvious event that occurs in your life when you have that kind of feeling is contentment. You're contented. You couldn't ask for anything else. That will change your prayer life. You will no longer pray, God, give me, give me, give me, and God, push away, push away, push away. No, you'll spend your time adoring God and thanking Him and looking forward to the blessings that will be there. I want to remind you that Simon Peter, with all that he went through in his life, when he came to that end of life, and they were going to crucify him. And they told him they were going to crucify him as Jesus was crucified. He struggled with that. Not that he didn't want to die a martyr's death. He said, I don't deserve to die as our Lord did. And he requested they crucify him upside down. Dear friend, that's the most painful way to be crucified. But he did not want to even appear to those wicked people around him that somehow he was like Jesus and perfect. He knew how flawed and frail he really was. He knew how suspect his behavior had been. He knew he was forgiven for denying Jesus three times, but he lived as if he had to make up for it every day. He loved Jesus with all his heart. That's what God expects from us. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, And having food and raiment, Let us be therewith content. Let's just be happy. Let's enjoy life. Let's not look at what other people have. Let's not wonder what it would be like to have that or or desire that. Remember, the core of every sin, all all the Ten Commandments rest on one sin. And it's the sin that Lucifer committed. The sin of coveting. Wanting something that's not yours. Wanting it so badly that you would take it away from another person. Wanting it as if somehow it would make you a happy person. But the reality is there's nothing in this world that can give you the joy and contentment you need 
like Jesus Christ. Thomas Fuller, in his book, The Holy State, said that contentment consists not in adding more fuel, but taking away some fire. Not in multiplying of wealth, but in subtracting of your desires. You see, we think sometimes if we pray and God will give us everything we want, that we'll be happy. You know what's amazing? The more you have, the more you want. I read a book, a very boring book one time, written by a group of psychiatrists and psychologists on the anatomy of the hoarder. The hoarder is, is something that's new in the 21st century, in the latter half of the 20th century. It, it's created, as they said, by several circumstances. Number one, uh, people doing without during the Great Depression. Because there were people that grew up that had nothing, that did without. But they said then followed juxtaposed behind that was the prosperity of World War II and the growing prosperity and the growing middle class that had all these things. And hoarding is a a response to that saying, it's mine, I've got it. But the reality is the more stuff we have, the more difficult life becomes. And the stuff is meaningless. As the old preacher said one time, in a revival many years ago, I ain't never seen no towing hitch on the back of a hearse. You don't take it with you. Good friend of mine in Atlanta who we grew up together and he went in the funeral business and we had the privilege of, of being together through probably 75 funerals in the years that I was in downtown Atlanta. Tim Stewart came up to me one day and he said, come here, I want to show you something. And he took me over to a casket and it was not a church member of mine. It was just a body they had there preparing. And he said, feel inside that pocket. Have you ever done that before? You know what's inside the pocket of a suit that a dead person wears? There's not a pocket. There's a flap sewn on the outside. Up here, you can't put anything in the pocket. It's It's closed. And I looked at that and I said, they, re- they make the clothes that way? He said, of course they do. He said, what are they going to carry with them? Think about it. I've seen loved ones put things in caskets as if grandma and grandpa are going to take it with them somewhere. The reality is they're not there. I rebuked a funeral director in middle Georgia one time when he referred to the body of a dear young lady who died in front of my house being hit by a drunk driver. He referred to her. He said, we're going to take Linda over and and load her into the hearse. And I walked up to him after the funeral. I said, don't ever do that again. Linda is not in that casket. She's in heaven. That's the body that served her. And I said, please don't do that because there are little children there, hundreds of them. And they heard that. We've got to understand that, that, that this world's temporary. And it goes more quickly, as, as, as Gina said, time flies. It flies not only when you're having fun, but just when you're here. And you look around and you realize, my life is going by very quickly. What are we going to do for Christ? First we pray, 
and we get in His presence, but then we become content because He's really all we need and really all that we want. But lastly, I want you to realize this. If we are to be holy, we must seek only what God seeks. One of the enigmatic passages of Scripture that's always frustrated me is the book of Jonah. Because Jonah was a man called by God to go to a specific place to witness to a specific people. God already told him, said, look, you're going to be successful. They're going to come to, to me. Just go and speak and they'll do that. Well, there was one problem. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. Not one bit. He was as prejudiced and, and, and as caustic about them. And he didn't care. He'd rather that they died. So God had to send around a little aquatic adventure for him. You thought 20,000 leagues under the sea was interesting. Three days and nights in the belly of the whale or fish or whatever it was changed him forever. He came out of there and he was able to preach. And, and, and like many of us, he preached and God answered the prayer and the people came and repented. He got mad. He got frustrated. And he crawls up on the top of a hill overlooking the sea. He sits under a gourd bush, and he's sulking. And God's upset with him, very upset, because that whole event was not just to change the people in Nineveh, it was to change Jonah. And so God sent the most wonderful little ambassador for Christ you've ever seen. He sent a worm to eat the leaves off of the gourd bush. And when he finished eating them, suddenly the man of God began to cry out in anger and frustration over losing his cover in the hot of the, of the day. And God said something to him that was astounding. And it's just like God. The Holy Spirit speaks this way to us sometimes. God said, you're more worried about losing that bush than the tragedy that would have been of losing those people. What is wrong with you, Jonah? What is wrong with you? That's a lesson for all of us. We can get so tangled up in ourselves that we forget that other people are around. We can get so wrapped up in who we are that we never find out what God has called us to do in His kingdom. Matthew 22 tells a very remarkable story there in the latter portion of that chapter. It was, a, it was a Tuesday morning in the temple. It was very busy there. People were coming and going. There was the sound of sheep and, and animals and oxen moving about. And, and much was happening because they were preparing for the Passover. In the middle of that, some people came up, and specifically a lawyer, don't take it personal, uh, and began to ask Jesus questions. And this is what he said. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, he didn't ask that because he was in, inquiring because he wanted to know. He was attempting to entrap Jesus. He was thinking, this man says he's God. Let's see how much like God he really is. Does he understand the law like he claims? Because everybody knew he was what? A carpenter. So here's what's unusual. Jesus speaks... 
And you know what he said. He said, you shall love the, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he said, and the next commandment is just like unto that. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whew. We didn't hear a whole lot about that lawyer after that. Jesus looked into his eyes in his life and told him exactly what his sin was. Because he didn't know how to love. Jesus says, do you want to know what is important? Do you really want to grow and change? Do you want to live forever? Then begin the process today. Start down that road. I had a friend when I was at Mercer University, and she was a lot younger uh, than I was at the time. I didn't start to college till I was 27. I I was scared to death. I, I did the dumbest thing you could do the first day of school. I wore a suit. Everybody thought I was the professor. I can remember walking into the class, and, 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 and God gave me the friendship of Laurie Alford. Wonderful lady, godly woman. Uh, she lives in South Georgia now. She teaches in a university there. And, and one of the greatest Christian examples I've ever met. But I, I remember watching her during the first test we had in that first class. They handed out the sheets. And of course, you know, in college, you don't fill the sheet out. You fill a paper out, pages and pages. And I can remember her sitting there, and she'd start writing, and she wouldn't look up. I mean, I could hear her going. And I was just trying to remember, okay, now, what was the whole question? And she would just start firing things out, and it was almost like she was regurgitating everything that she had studied and learned. We stayed through the classes together, and I can remember at the end of the classes, the week before we were going to graduate, Laurie looked at me and she said, I want to tell you something that's always amazed me about you. I said, what's that? She said, you amaze me in that she said, I can memorize things and I can give it back. But she said, every time you do an essay, it sounds nothing like what we studied. It's like you reformulate it. And she said, I need to be able to do that. I've never forgotten her saying that. When every time we walk, we talk and, and we go back and walk through our past in school and talk about it, I remember that. Because she, she, she could have said, well, you know, uh, you're not studious like I am. You don't memorize like I do. But she gave me words of hope and encouragement. And she let me know that what I was doing was right. God wants us to be people like that. He wants us to encourage one another. Remember when you were a little kid, if you had an older sibling... Uh, you wanted something that might have been anything from baseball to a cookie. And they'd hold it up and say, if you want it, come get it. And you'd stand there jumping up and down like a, a cat trying to get a treat. Remember that? We all went through that. We had, we had a cousin or brother or a neighbor or whatever that picked on us like that. But, but let me tell you the difference between that and God. The difference is that striving for the holiness of God, God does not pull it away from us. He draws close to us. 
He will reward us. He will give us what we're looking for. Now, I'll remind you, he's like, I've told you, like MacGyver for Hire. Remember that show? That show was written based upon who God is. Because God will pick up anything in your situation and use it as an object lesson to change you. He will do that. Whatever you're going through, he will use that because he knows what you're looking at and going through at the moment. And he will take that to shape you into what you ought to be. And if you're willing to allow him to do that, and if you pay attention, unfortunately, for many years as a Christian, you know what I did when I got into one of those heated situations? I bowed my head and I prayed real hard and said, God, get me out of this. And God was literally standing over me saying, if you would be quiet and look up, I'm about to teach you a very important lesson that will change who you are. Be careful what you beg for God to take away. Because sometimes your thorn in the flesh may be an object lesson that will shape you into the person God wants you to be. He does that. Because he loves us. One day we'll stand in the heavenlies and we'll look Jesus into the face and, and, and we will understand everything that's happened to us. The joys, the adventures, the sadnesses, the hard times, the struggles. We'll understand it all. And we will understand one thing that maybe in this life we didn't ever recognize. That Jesus uses everything to conform us to his image if we're willing to yield and to stay close to him and trust him. And I pray that today you're doing that and that you have been changed. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your love that constrains us to be close to you, that challenges us to be more than we are, that constantly tells us to walk away from sin and seek forgiveness. God, I thank you that you're about changing us into what we should be. And I ask right now that you would speak to someone, someone in this room, someone who's listening through our, through our radio station or through our, our, our live streaming, that they would understand that God is able to forgive and he's able to change us. But once forgiveness occurs, the process of change begins. And we're not to slow it down, we're not to detour it, we're not to walk away from it, and we're not to deny it, we're to accept it. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to someone now that, that has gone through that time and they've learned to run and to hide rather than face up to their life and to work to change. And you want to change them, Lord. You want to, you desire to make them into the person that is perfect for your kingdom. And I pray that you would speak to them and, and, and now, in this moment, they would pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, give me the strength and the courage to follow you and to trust you and to change as I am to change. Father, if there's someone here that needs to accept your gift of salvation, I pray that today would be the day they'd come forward and make a public statement of their faith in you. 
Or Lord, if there's someone that needs to come and join this church today, I pray that today would be the day that that decision would be settled. Father, speak to us. And may we hear with our hearts and be changed. For it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.